Uh, she has a gift of teaching and exhortation on her life. We noticed that early on. And so we, we sensed that today was the day that we could give her an opportunity to exhort us as a congregation. We excited about that? So let me pray for Carrie Ann and then give us ears to hear, eyes to understand. Lord Jesus, bless Carrie Ann as she speaks, Lord. She's got a message from you for us. Lord, I pray that we'd be changed. I pray that we would live our lives differently. I pray that we would see you, Jesus, in a, in a new light, in a different light, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil, and thank you guys for having me up here and allowing me to share what God's been putting on my heart in this ADS process. Um, so the title of what I'm speaking about today is called The Unrelatable Jesus. And before you guys guess, follow me. We're going somewhere with this. And unrelatable is in quotes because I found out that it's not really a word, but you guys get where I'm going with this. So <laughs> I just want to talk a little bit about how Jesus got me here. So I've been getting rocked all year in the training school, like literally just falling on my face again and again. But it's been awesome. I know it sounds hard, but God has been doing something in that. So when I started off the year, it was very easy for me to like pray to my Abba Father because he calls me his own and I'm his daughter and he loves me. And the Holy Spirit has been my best friend for as long as I can remember. So it's easy to be comforted by the Holy Spirit and to seek the Holy Spirit when I, in times of trouble. But if I'm being honest, I had a little beef with Jesus. There was a little something going on in my heart that I couldn't realize why I would never pray to Jesus. I would never cry out to Jesus. It was hard for me to connect to him. Um, and in ADS is when Jesus actually brought it up in my heart. Like, you don't cry out for me. Like, you don't, you don't call on me. You don't know me. And um, he just started to show me that in my heart I had resentment towards him. And if it's because it's I, I felt like I couldn't relate to him. He seemed like the perfect older brother that just floated through life and did everything so perfectly. The father adored him. And I was the rebellious middle child that was supposed to live up to that. I just, I couldn't get it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't cry out. I wouldn't come to him. I wouldn't relate to him. And in ADS, we have to read scripture every night. So as we were reading the scripture, each day, God, Jesus was just showing me a different part of who he was. So like, we'd be reading the verses and he'd be like, Carrie Ann, I was sad here. Carrie Ann, I felt broken here. I felt betrayed here. And each moment, it just kind of like shocked me because even though we read in scripture that Jesus suffered, it was kind of like, yeah, he suffered, but in my mind, it felt like he had like this divine protection over him. So even though he suffered, he never really felt it because he's Jesus. And that's, that's not true. It just, I think sometimes we treat it as if we just glaze over the suffering to go straight to the victory. And don't get me wrong, I'm thankful for the victory that I can walk in freedom because of the name of Jesus. But he suffered. And that's the Jesus that gave us salvation. That's the Jesus that broke my, my chains. So that's what I want to talk about today. Um, so before going into that, I want us to take a look at some pictures. And just take five seconds to look into the pictures and let me know what you think might be missing from these pictures. Just examine them. Just let me know what you think in your heads. Let Jesus know what you think. <laughs> um, so I think the first thing that I see off bat that's missing is our Savior. 
the Jesus that we read about in the Bible is not depicted anywhere in these pictures. There's no tattered clothing. There's no scarring. There's no bruising. There's no mark from the suffering, the trials and tribulations that he endured on that day. And I think that's very harmful, and I'm going to go into why in a little bit. So if we go into each individual picture just for a little bit, um, I want to go into the, the bottom left one. And it just kind of shows that, oh, it was the dark day in the back for everyone else. But it was a sunny halo we won for Jesus because he was just floating by with the cross. Um, the next two, the top left and the bottom right, really crack me up <laughs> because it's Jesus, like, snuggling his cross. Like, I love my cross. And I get it. These are in children's books. I understand that, but I'm not saying to put the passion of the Christ Jesus in the children's books, but I'm at least show that like there was some struggle. There was some pain in that day. So um, that's obviously harmful when we know that Jesus was like, take this cup from me. Like, I don't want that. So, and then the last one just kind of, it kind of exaggerates distance between Jesus and the human experience of suffering because he's in the front just looking airy, just like looking up to God, and then all the humanity in the back is bearing the brunt of the cross. And that's not the truth of what happened that day. That was the darkest day for Jesus. He carried all of the weight on his back that day so we can live free today. So I just want you guys to take a a look at the images that we've all digested um, in the Western world, learning about Christ. Um, So I want to go into a couple of definitions. The first one is called the Christless cross phenomenon. And this is just a belief system that belittles the truth that Jesus is 100% God. Now, this sounds absolutely absurd because this is the very foundation we build our faith upon. Jesus is God and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, The next one is the crossless Christ phenomenon. So now that's a belief system that belittles the truth that Jesus was 100% man. Now, this should sound absolutely just as absurd because this is also the very foundation that our faith is built upon, but sometimes we don't always treat it as holding as much weight. We talk about Jesus as if he was 100% God, but only like 50% man, like he was here, but he, he was still God. Um, yeah, we just had this tendency to just proclaim victory because we've never lived in a world where Jesus wasn't victorious, but Jesus had to live in a world where he wasn't yet victorious. Um, so that's important to know. (laughs) So there's three areas of humanity that I want to talk about when it comes to Jesus. The first one is Jesus' skin. So the fact that Jesus was a real man with real skin and a real socioeconomic status. Um, The next one is Jesus' suffering. So Jesus felt pain, both emotional and physical, to the same magnitude that we experience the pain that we suffer today. And the next one is ultimately our salvation. Salvation is really only a fairy tale if Jesus wasn't a man hanging from the cross on Calvary. So I just want us to keep that in mind. So let's talk about Jesus' skin. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus didn't come to create a new religion. He just came to realign Judaism with the will of God, just to set them back on path. So Jesus lived a Jew, and Jesus died a Jew. Um... Jesus was Middle Eastern. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, which is in the modern-day Middle East. So what that means is that Jesus didn't have long blonde hair. He didn't have blue eyes. He didn't have extremely pale skin. That's just not what he looked like. And it's, there's a lot of harm done when we take Jesus out of the physical, geographical, ancestral 
like region that he was in because then we allow the world to mythify Jesus and turn him into Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. And that's not the God that we serve. His power comes from the fact that he was a living, breathing man born in the context he was born in. He wasn't exempt from genetics. He wasn't exempt from geology. He was here. He lived. He breathes. So that's important because it can cause disillusionment in the body. So you ever read like a really good book and like you fall in love with the book and you fall in love with the characters and you're just like, I can see them so clearly in my head. And then you go watch the movie and you're like, who is that? Like, why did you pick that person? Like, that is nothing like what is in this book. And you kind of get frustrated because you're like, out of everybody, that's who you chose? It doesn't look like, you know? And I feel like that, that happens and it creates that tension in Christians. And I feel like, We need to be unified in the body. And even though I'm not saying that I know what Jesus looked like, but I think we have some clues to what he didn't look like. And it's important for us. We have a responsibility to honor that as the body of Christ. Um, The next thing is that Jesus was poor. Um, Even though we know that the real riches are in heaven, so I guess we can say he was of low socioeconomic status. Um, he was looked down upon because he was a Nazarene. You know, Nathaniel was like, what good can come from there? So he wasn't in high esteem. Jesus was also a laborer. We know that because Joseph was a carpenter. And the way things worked historically is that the fathers passed on their trades to their sons. Mothers passed on their trades to their daughters. So Jesus was a carpenter. And that's also telling of his socioeconomic status because he was belittled, though. Isn't that just the carpenter's son? Like, he doesn't have any importance in society. He's just the carpenter's son. But this is also important because Jesus worked with his hands. Like, Jesus was, like, rough and rugged, and he got his hands dirty. And that also contrasts, like, the dainty, pretty Jesus that we see fly around Jerusalem in pictures because that's just not the truth of who he is. Like, he... Got down and dirty. The last one is kind of funny. (laughs) But I'm going to assume that Jesus probably wasn't a GQ model. And here's why. So in 1 Samuel 16, 7, this is where Samuel is looking for the next king. And he goes to Jesse's sons in his bloodline. And he's looking and he sees the brother. And he's like, oh, it must be him because he's strong. Or it must be him because he's handsome. It must be him because he's tall. And this is the first time that God says that the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So I think that if the intentional God we serve wanted to create a Savior where people only follow him for the content of his message, if I'm speculating what we'd fashion him to look like, I don't believe it would be a GQ model. Again, I don't know what Jesus looks like, but... God gives us some clues. (laughs) So, yeah, this is all to say that I didn't know that I don't know, and I still don't know what Jesus looks like. But the question that I want to pose is, would the church recognize Jesus if he was to walk into service today? And how does the big C, body of Christ, the big C church, treat people who look like what Jesus did in his physical form? And I think that we have to keep that in mind. So the next part of Jesus I want to talk about is his suffering. So Jesus suffered all of the emotions that plague Christians today, except fear, because that is the one spirit that Jesus, that God said he didn't give us, so Jesus didn't have it. Jesus didn't have any fear. But Jesus got angry. He was frustrated. He got sad. He felt worried, lonely, rejected, helpless, betrayed, and dare I say, unqualified. Unqualified. 
And I know that creates some tension because how could our Savior feel unqualified? But before our Savior was our Savior, he was a man. And he felt, he felt the tension when the weight of your purpose is, feels heavier. It feels heavier and it's hard. It clouds your vision to see your purpose. Um, so though there are many examples of Jesus' expressed humanity in the Bible, which I really like implore you to explore because it's so awesome getting to see Jesus for who he truly is. Um, today we're going to be reading from Mark's account of Gethsemane. And I would love for you guys to follow me there if you can. Mark 14, 32 through 50. Because we're just going to read through that together. Pull it up one more time. So it says, They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. So it's just not regular sadness or regular stress. This deeply, like deep in the pit of his stomach, distressed and troubled. He says to his friends, my sorrow is over, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So it's not just like I'm sad. Like my soul like is filled with sorrow to the point where I feel like death. That's what our Savior said about himself. And he said, that's what he said to them. He said, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground. He didn't kneel. He didn't bow down. He fell like the weight on his back was too heavy to carry that he fell. He dropped to his knees. And he prayed that, Father, if this is possible... May this pass from me. That's our Savior. And I feel like I'm getting choked up because, like, you can feel what he was feeling. Like, our Savior, the one who is victorious, who's going to come riding on a cloud, like, said, Father, Father, take this from me. And he cried out, everything is possible for you. Take this from me, God. I know you. I've seen you. I've been with you. I know how mighty you are. Take this cup from me. And this is where I would dare to say Jesus felt unqualified. He felt like, and by unqualified, the definition that I found was not prepared or unable. He knew his whole life what he had to do. He knew what he came for. But in that moment, he felt, I'm not prepared for this. I don't feel like I'm able to do this right now. But then he says, and this is where the divine comes in. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. And that's what I would call divine perspective. That's a whole conversation for another day. Um, And then he returned to the disciples and found them. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? This is where I would say Jesus was frustrated. The people he's been shepherding, the ones he's leaving the, the earth to, the ones he's entrusting the gospel with, fell asleep after an hour when he told them to keep watch, when there were many more commands to come. So... And then he said, watch and pray so you would not fall into temptation. This is where I would say Jesus was concerned. He was concerned for his friends. He was concerned for the gospel. He was concerned for the kingdom that he was bringing to earth. And then Jesus says something that we hold on to in the church. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
And I think this is revelation from Jesus' own experience. Like, that's what he was feeling at that moment. Like, he was imparting advice to his friends that he was living out, that he was experiencing, that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. His spirit in that moment is not what I will. That's what his spirit's saying. Not what I will, but what you will. But his flesh is saying, Lord, take this from me, God. This is too much. And I think this is a complete picture of full divinity in absolute humanity. That's where you see both God the Savior and God the man in one picture. Um, So once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. But turning a, a third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. So we know that in the Bible they use the Son of Man and the Son of God at a bunch of different times. But we know that God is intentional. So each time that he uses it is intentional. And in this moment he says that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of sinners. The Son of Man is going to be the one that's hanging on the cross. The Son of Man is the one that's bringing you salvation. And then he goes on to say, rise, let's go, here comes my betrayer. So again, his friend betrayed him. And he felt that. He called him a betrayer. So, yeah, I'm glazing over the richness of this story, but just to see, just to get a glimpse of the way that Jesus felt and the way that Jesus experienced life. So the next point and the final point of Jesus' salvation that I want to talk about is um, salvation. So in Hebrew, one of the words for salvation is yasa, and yasa means to save, to help in distress, to rescue, deliver, and to set free. So how many of us can resonate with that moment in Gethsemane when Jesus fell to his knees and he was crying out, Abba, Father, you're bigger than this. I know who you are. I know who you are. Take this cup from me. Like, I know that I I do that all the time where I'm like, whether it's in my family, like, God, you're bigger than what we're going through. Just stop it. Just make it stop. Or if it's at work, God, you're bigger than the struggle that we're happening, that's happening. Take this from me. It happens all the time. But our Savior did that. In that moment, Jesus, the man himself, was yearning for a Savior. The Savior had not yet come. And Jesus, the man, was yearning, was crying out to be rescued, to be set free. Because of that, we get a relatable God. We don't serve a God that's, you don't understand. You could never get it. That's not the God that we serve. And no other religion can say that, that their, that their, God, their God came and lived as we lived. He knows what we need. The veil wasn't just torn for communication. It was torn for relatability. It was, t- it was told so, t- torn so that we can access him and he can access us and he can intercede accordingly. We get a personal intercessor sitting at the right hand of the Father advocating for us day after day after day after day. So he justified us on the cross, but each moment when I go to work and I tell a fib to one of the kids, he's justifying me. He's reliving life. He's reliving his humanity to justify us day after day after day. And he just closed that gap between us and the Father. I can only imagine, again, I'm not God, but I can only imagine how hard it is to just like, why don't they just get it right? Why don't they just trust that I know what I'm doing? Like, I can see it. Why don't they trust me? So God can't understand that, but Jesus can. 
Jesus knew what, would it, what it was like to live life and to be shaken off your path of purpose, even though you can see it so clearly. Like, I can see, I can see why I need to do this, but, like, there's all these road bumps. Jesus knows that, so he's sitting at the right hand of the Father saying so, like, oh, forgive her, Father. Forgive her, Father. Forgive him, Father. That's the Jesus that we serve, which is awesome. And we have mercy that precedes grace. I was just thinking about the concept of mercy and grace because I know sometimes they're used interchangeably, but I don't believe that they are interchangeable. I think they're two very different things that, put, that work together um, to create forgiveness. Because when I think about, like, what's grace without mercy? Resentment. If you, if you just pardon someone but you don't actually forgive them or show them mercy for what they did for you, I'm, I said that I forgive you, but I still have this resentment in my heart to you. God doesn't have resentment towards us for our sins. They're forgiven. They're washed clean. And that's because we have a Jesus that resonates with all of our story. He can show mercy, like he can pardon us, which is the grace, and show mercy to us because he resonates. He's like, I, I, I felt that. I experienced that. So I know this all sounds like a fairly simple, straightforward concept, but I'm sure we know reading the Bible and like coming to church that even the, simp- the most simple concepts need to connect from here to here. And this is the only place where God needs it to be. He doesn't care how smart we are. He doesn't care how much we can articulate this. He wants it here. He wants it etched on our heart. In Jeremiah 31, 33, declares the Lord, I will put my heart within them and I will write it on their hearts and that's how I will be their God and they shall be my people. So we can have it in our minds, but that doesn't make him our God. It's when we etch it on our heart that he becomes our God and we become his people. And if we really grasp the concept that Jesus was 100% man and felt pain, if we grasp that in our heart, then when we're in deep pain, we should just run to Jesus with our pain. That, that makes sense. That's what we do in the world. We run to people we think that can resonate with what we're experiencing. But I would say that's when we typically feel the most distant from Jesus. When we're in pain and brokenness. We don't, the first person we think to run to isn't, isn't Jesus. We actually try to take our brokenness to the world. And we take our cross and we're running to the world like, oh, the world is broken. The world will know to, what to do with my cross. But the world has no idea <laughs> what to do with our cross. The one who was broken in two for the sake of our salvation is the only one that can help us carry the brunt of our cross. We have a Savior that carries the cross for us, that carries the, the, the majority of the yoke for us. We're not doing this by ourselves. And when we run to the world, we have to do it by ourselves. And that's why it gets heavier. And it gets heavier. And we feel emptier and emptier. But luckily, it's never too late. It's never too late. We just take that cross, we repent, we turn back, and we run, we run to Jesus. We run to Jesus with our brokenness. That's, that's what he's there for. That's what he did. He did it before, but he's here to do it every day. If you feel pain, if you feel broken 10 times out of the day, keep running 10 times. Like it's, he'll, he'll never say, oh, this is too much. Because that happens in the world. When with your friends, with family, oh, that's too much. Just get over it. Just pick it up and walk. That's life. That's not the gospel that I read, that, oh, that's just life. 
That's just life. No, we have somewhere to go with our brokenness. You don't go to the butcher for braces. And you, you, yeah, like you don't go to the cashier for like eye surgery. That's just not what you do. So why are we going to the world with our cross? We go to the one who has the answers, the one who has the remedy, the one who's already defeated death, so that, and who's already defeated brokenness. And I just think it's extremely dangerous that somewhere in Western teaching, we lost our reason to run to Jesus with our brokenness. Like, we've taken away Jesus' cross from him. So we're running to the world with it. And just in this moment, I just want to invite you to close your eyes really quick. And think of anything that's burdening your heart that you haven't told a soul, you haven't told a friend, you haven't told a parent, but you see it. And you know what's sitting in your heart. Jesus wants to to carry that for you. He wants to show you where he is in that that brokenness. He wants to show you a time in in Scripture where he felt exactly what you're feeling in this one specific scenario. And I just want to invite you to ask God to reveal himself to you, to show you who he is and who he was. And I promise you you won't be let down by the way that he resonates with your brokenness, the way that he resonates with your pain, with your feeling of being unqualified, of like seeing your purpose but not knowing how you're going to get there. He, He gets it. He gets it. And he wants to reveal more and more to you each day. So in this moment, Holy Spirit, we just thank you. We just thank you that in you we are one body and one spirit. We just thank you that you are the ever-present God. Jesus, we thank you for what you did for us, God. We thank you for the way that you humbled yourself and came into the body of a human. You broke yourself in half for the sake of us. You saw each and every one of us here. And you said, I did that for them. He saw you. And said, I did that for you. And God, thank you that each day you're reliving the trauma of the human experience to intercede accordingly for us. Thank you that that's who you are. That's who you are. You're giving of yourself for us. So Jesus, I just ask for divine revelation. I'm asking for eyes to see what you see. I'm asking for the scales to fall off of our eyes. I'm asking in this week that you will reveal yourself in a tangible way because you are a God that's working miracles today, not just yesterday. That you are moving in power today in Boston, in our workplaces, in our families, God. That salvation is coming to people connected to our purpose, God. Lord, thank you that you call us our own and that you're you're ready, your arms are ready to carry our crosses for us, God. So I just pray, I want to echo what Nikki said, that we surrender it over to you, God, that we stop trying to be Lord of our own crosses and hand it off to the one who's done it already, the one who was victorious already. So I just pray that in this week, life looks different. We're not sure why, but something feels different about my workplace. Something feels different about my interactions with my neighbor. And what that is is divine perspective, God. Give us your eyes, Lord. Touch us in a new way, Holy Spirit. We love you so much. Amen.
Amen. You got a gift. That was beautiful. Thank you, Care. Hey, and just to, to reiterate the response, you know, I feel like there's a uh, two-pronged response here. For those of us who have come to Jesus, we've confessed, we've professed him to be our Lord and Savior, that he's taken our sins and forgiven our sins. Uh, it's, 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 a renew, it's a reminder for us, hey, this week again, what is that place of brokenness that we have maybe not brought to him and, and do it? But there's also a second response, and I feel like Carrie was hitting this in the end. It's a, it's a response of salvation. If you've never actually received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never actually prayed and said, Jesus, I want to give you my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life, and I want you to take this brokenness. You were broken, and now you can relate to my brokenness. You can take it. It's a simple act of asking him to come into your heart, asking him, saying, Jesus, come, forgive my sins. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Because that's your opportunities today. It's a moment that enters into then a journey, a lifetime with him. But it starts with a moment of you asking him to come into your heart. So if that's you, I just ask you, just right even, even right now, say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Take the brokenness that I have onto yourself. Amen. If that was you, then I just encourage you, come and talk to Carrie Ann. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to point you right to the woman who just brought us into that place of the relatable Jesus. Uh, and go talk to her and say, how do I live out this journey of discipleship and following you? So thank you, Karen.